Was Dvor HaNeviyah serving as Shofetet an exception or a paradigm? Meaning, do we say that Dvorah was a unique woman, none of the women in our time are like her, and therefore none of, we should not aspire to having Shoftot? Or do we say that Dvorah teaches us that a paradigm which does not include women in roles such as Shoftot is flawed? In his magnificent introduction to the work Shiltot Rav Achaigon, Rav Natoli Tzviyudur Berlin, known as the Nitziv, describes two models of halachic development. One model, which he identifies with Shevet Levi, works pointillistically and intuitively. It sees each circumstance and sets of facts as unique, and seeks a religious response that addresses that uniqueness. The second model, which he attributes and he identifies with Shevet Yehuda, looks to build general principles and abstractions that apply to all circumstances and all times. It seeks to respond religiously to the universal aspects of particular experience. Please understand the importance of Nitziv's contention that each of these are halachic approaches. Many other thinkers present similar binaries, but see them as fundamentally opposed. What Nitziv calls the Levi model, other thinkers present as antinomian of Erelishma, sinning for the sake of heaven. They make the compelling argument that the entire purpose of law is to subsume the particular into the universal, to produce rules. There may be circumstances where the rules should or must be broken, but in such cases we should honor law by acknowledging the breach rather than claiming that the law can bend far enough to accommodate our actions. By framing intuitive, situation-specific responses as a mode of halacha, indeed as the proper mode of the posaic as opposed to the lamdan, Nitziv rejects, rejects this approach entirely. We might reasonably suggest that Nitziv's own approach is intended to expand the reach of law and domesticate intuition. If halacha validates situation-specific religious responses, how could there possibly be room left for Averi Lishma, for sinning for the sake of heaven? The whole point of Averi Lishma, I would have thought, is that there are times when law cannot cover specific circumstances, and so we need to go be, uh, beyond it, outside it, to make temporary exceptions. Um, but the truth is that Nitziv has the most radical and pervasive understanding of Averi Lishma in the Mitnagdic world. Uh, he liked to say, that one must always consider the benefits of a mitzvah, by which he meant an action mandated by halacha, against its costs, and the cost of an avera, by which he meant an action forbidden by halacha, against its benefits, and here, emphasis mine, because sometimes fulfilling the mitzvah isn't worth its costs, and sometimes violating the avera is worth its costs. Why should a halacha that relates to situations in their particularity ever generate counterproductive mandates or prohibitions? I think that Nitziv must distinguish between mediated and unmediated religious intuition. The post-Sikh's intuition, even though it's still situation-specific, is mediated by halacha and must produce law. Perhaps Nitziv imagines a sort of religious state of nature in which each individual human being reacts to every situation in accordance with their direct perception of Ritzon Hashem, of divine will. The problem is that the Ritzon Hashem may be different for you than for me. In the Ramam's terms, for example, my character might best be developed by cultivating uncritical generosity, while you need to overcome the culpable naivete that leads you to donate large sums to fraudulent charities. So the religious state of nature does not enable the building of religious society, and since, most human, be since human beings are social creatures, it follows that the state of nature does not enable human fulfillment. We therefore need a religious contract, religious social contract. Q. Harsinai, enter the Torah.
Social contracts require individuals to exchange the right to make some choices or to have freedom from for the ability to make other choices, freedom to. We retain the ability to make choices that we no longer have a right to make. And sometimes we have the obligation to exercise that ability, and that's what we call a very lishma. By organizing as a society, we gain the ability to make new choices that are simply wrong, such as limiting the autonomy of others unnecessarily. Social contracts are based on principles that harden into rules, and rules harden into laws. Nitziv argues that this must be an iterative process. One class of halachists, what I'm calling lamdanim, consistently draws perfectly straight lines connecting previously decided halachic points, and then argues that the lines define the boundary of the, the, boundary of the acceptable. Another class of halachists, what I'm calling poskim, recognizes that an infinite number of curves can be drawn between two points, and contends that the existing pattern of halachic points does not justify an overwhelming preference for simplicity. The Londonim must constantly revise their models to account for new points decided by the poskim, and the poskim must stay within the lines that have already hardened. Great poskim recognize that lines are two-dimensional, which is to say, they can only create boundaries within a single plane. If we acknowledge the existence of infinite dimensions, then the Lamdanim can never fully control, uh, constrain the poskim. But the vast majority of us live in a much less exuberant religious geometry. We live uh, with halacha decided mostly on a single plane. This tension can be illustrated within Midrash Halacha by comparing the terms Binyan Av and Chidush. Categorizing a legal detail as a Binyan Av lets one generalize it to a broad range of halachot beyond its original context. Categorizing it, categorizing it as a chidush confines it to its original context and biases one towards defining that original context narrowly. The only difference between a binyan av and a chidush is that the former seems intuitive and the latter seems counterintuitive. So when a law seems intuitive, we broaden it, we make it a binyan av, and when a law seems counterintuitive, we narrow it and call it a chidush. Lamdanim generally have a bias towards seeing things as binyan av, whereas poskim are more willing to categorize them as chidushim. There is at least one exception to this tendency, however. Points that are halachic outliers, but that have great appeal on non-halachic grounds, something that seems like it really must be true ethically, even though there isn't so much support in prior literature, those sorts of points will often be generalized by poskim, but minimized by lamdanim. This brings us back to Devorah Neviyah. There's no question that the existing halachic lines some but most, some of which have hardened, but most of which have, I think, really not, uh, appear to be drawn with the intention of limiting women's roles in leadership. There is also no question, point, that Devorah led, and more particularly that she functioned as a judge. This is true even if one concedes that shoftim means political leaders rather than judges, because it says, um, clearly means that all of Israel went up to her for legal purposes, they, that she served as a Dayan. The simplest way of drawing the lines is to chokify Dvorah, to say that she was an exceptional case that has no implications for the halachot of leadership. She was, in essence, a living Avera Lishma or a, uh, a Horas Shah. This is where Lamdanim pull out their literal Deus Ex Machina, namely, they say that it's different uh, when something is explicitly and directly authorized by God. Um, right? And so Dvorah was shofetet 
Alpia Dibur in that with Shani, whether you figure out that's Alpia Dibur that she judged even as a woman or that she judged based on some kind of direct intuition, which raises its own issues with the Loba Shemayim. An alternate approach is to say that the case of Devorah teaches us that the lines we had in mind are wrong, and we were drawing them on the way on the basis of way too little halachic data. We were drawing straight lines where what's needed are uh, various kinds of curves. Mikram Aleomer v'hishavtas Yisrael. Right, that an explicit and perfectly straightforward verse says that she served as a judge. And again, Vayeluayla kol Yisrael mishpat. We might go further and seek to chokify any undeniable halachic restrictions on women's leadership, while generalizing the example of Devorah to the extent we can. This is not a new conversation. Tosfot record both opinions, and each reverberates throughout the subsequent Rishonim of both Ashkenaz and Sfarad. But more immediately, each found new and enthusiastic exponents during the early years of religious Zionism. For example, in 1920, Rabbi Yaakov Levinson published a book called Shivayon Nashim in Kudat Halacha, The Equality of Women from the Halachic Point of View, which enthusiastically argued that the restrictions in Rambam had essentially no applications in a democratic society. Rabbi Levinson was chairman and then president of American Mizrahi. See as well the respectful but strong disagreement expressed by Rabbi Yosef Kanovitz of Toronto, who was president of the Agudat Rabbanim of the U.S. and Canada, and Rabbi Levinson's equally civil response. Note particularly that the full exchange was published originally by Rabbi Levinson and his Hatarav Hamada, and then included in Rabbi Kanovitz's posthumous collection, Divrei Yosef. In this ongoing conversation, I have a strong opinion, which essentially tracks that of Rabbi Levinson in practice. I think it is correct to say that on the immediate issue he addressed, which was women's voting suffrage, as opposed to women serving as Dayanot, there is now a practical halachic consensus in his favor, and even those who are line drawers have to take that into account, that you have to come up with a halacha that is coherent with the consensus position that women uh, not only can but must can vote, but must be given the vote in a just society. I think it is generally better not to draw lines than to draw absurd lines. Um, hence, my rejection of positions that allow Golda Meir to be Prime Minister of Israel, um, but not President of a young Israel. I don't think that halacha should be decided by projections of historical trends. And there certainly remain areas of leadership about which reasonable and responsible halachists and halachic communities can differ passionately as to whether they are uh, halakhically accessible to women. For the time being, there are and will remain, as best I can see, um, shuls, communities, um, who eagerly seek the public presence of women as religious leaders, and others who sincerely find that presence in certain circumstances, and I think that uh, the circumstances are being more and more narrowly defined to be a violation of the halachic ethos, and still others where the issue will cause constant tension everywhere. The examples of Rabbi Levinson and Rabbi Kanovitz show us that these passionate differences um, do not need to be the cause of orthodox schism, but rather we can continue genuinely and generously to try to convince each other. Um, and again, my position is that we are better off um, morally treating Devorah as um, paradigm rather than as exception. Shabbat Shalom.